Thank you, Micah, and praise team, praise choir, and a wonderful special this morning. Uh, let, let's say amen again, all right? Just amen, amen for that wonderful, wonderful special. And then thank you for the Revelation song. And I want you to turn your Bibles because I want to share with you where that song comes from. It comes from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. So take your Bible, the last book in the Bible, and we will be looking at Revelation 4 and 5. And then leave your Bible open because in a few minutes we'll be referring to chapter 7 as well. While you're looking, let me just set this up. We uh, find that in the book of Revelation that Jesus has spoken in chapters 2 and 3 about the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches. And then in chapter 4 and 5, we have John receiving a vision. And so chapters 4 and 5 is the same vision and one having to do with, uh, with the elders and with these strange-looking animals that are going to be uh, their heads praising God around the throne. In fact, you look in chapter 4, and uh, there in verse 8, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, which we sang a few moments ago. Then in chapter 5, the, the question is, who is worthy to open the scrolls? And of course, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin in verse 9, and it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom of royalty and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, actually they were shouting, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this powerful passage of Scripture where John the Apostle was given toward the end of his life, toward the end of his ministry, he was given an opportunity to peer into heaven and to see what was going to happen during what we call the tribulation. When we as the church will be raptured out and we will be with you in glory, but there are certain things that are going to be happening on earth. And here is a vision as it begins in chapters 4 and 5. And, and John is peering into heaven and he is seeing praise. He is seeing worship. He is seeing all the countless uh, wonderful, wonderful participants in heaven that you have prepared to be able to express this. And as we'll see in a moment, we get to chapter 7 and we'll see that we're there and that we're going to be praising uh, as well. And so, Father, here we're reminded of the glory, the praise, the honor. What a beautiful picture it's going to be of strength. And as we see your magnificence, we see the Lamb on the throne. And then we see angels praising you and a reminder of how it is to be here on earth. That what we are preparing here in our worship services, not only on, corporately on a Sunday morning, 
But Father, anytime that we pause to worship you as we're living out our lives, because everything that we do is to be an act of worship, is to be offered up to you, Heavenly Father. And we see that played out in heaven. So Father, as we talk about again, destination heaven for those who know Jesus. But we're going to be answering a question today, Father, about uh, is heaven going to be boring? We already know that answer, but we need to understand why it's not going to be a boring place. So guide us, help us illuminate our minds and hearts to truth today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. There was a man by the name of Sam, he, back during the 1800s, and he was in a gathering, a social gathering of people, and they were talking about heaven and hell. And they were talking about the blessings of heaven and the curse of hell and the suffering. And they turned to Sam. Sam had been very quiet during that time. And so they turned to Sam and said, Sam, don't you have an opinion? He usually had an opinion about things. And so they said, don't, don't you have an opinion about this? And he said, really, I don't have an opinion about this because I've got friends in both places. That Sam was Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Listen to what he said a little later on and in a formal address he was talking about an election that had occurred, and, he, and it reads, The election makes me think of a story of a man who was dying. He had only two minutes to live, so he sent for, for a, a, a preacher and asked him, Where is the best place to go to? He was undecided about it, so the minister told him that each place had its advantages. Heaven for climate and hell for society. Now, just think about that for a moment. Heaven for climate, because it's going to be a beautiful place, wonderful place. But if you want to party, if you want to have a really good time, if you want to be in the upper crust of society, you're going to want to go to hell. So this morning, let's look at three myths, first of all, about heaven. And we'll see what Clemens was talking about, all right? Three myths about heaven I want you to see. And the first one is this, is that there is no fun in heaven. That there is no fun in heaven. Years ago, uh, when Arlinda and I were finishing up our, our college experience down in West Palm Beach, Florida, there was a musical that came out long before these young men down here were born. And it was called Natural High. You probably never even heard of it. Natural High. Deb has. Hadn't you, Deb? I heard you giggle over here. She knows what I'm talking about. And it was a wonderful uh, musical. It was uh, very much the image of the time around the drug culture and really appealed to all the psychedelic colors and things along that line. But one of the songs in that musical had to do with the fact about what God was like, an image of God. And it, it talked about how some people see God as being a Santa Claus. And you can always go to him, you know, roly-poly with the beard, and you go to him, and everything's always good. And then there was another image of, a sand, of, of God, and that was a vending machine, a Coke machine, where you just put in your money, and, and you press a button, and you get exactly what you want. But there was a third image, and that was of the cosmic policeman, who's always going to bop you on the head to make sure that you're sitting up, that you're paying attention, and that you're listening, and that you're obeying, and doing everything perfect and right. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want any one of those gods. 
I want the God that's reflected in God's word, especially as we have read in chapter 5, we'll see in chapter 7, the one who is deserving of our praise and honor and glory. We want that kind of God. And contrary to Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, we need to take heaven seriously and we need to take hell seriously. And we need to understand that as we think about heaven itself, that most often there's this perpetual lie that's been out there that heaven is, is not an exciting place. That God is this one that's always out there and he's bopping our heads. He is the, he is the consummate party pooper. But if you really want to party, you'll want to, to go to hell. You'll want to follow the ways of Satan. Last Sunday morning, I think we made it pretty clear in, in Luke chapter 16 of what hell really looks like. And can I remind you something? Satan has never created anything in his life. All he has ever done is distorted the creation of God. And what has God done? God has created all things in an eternal way, in a beautiful way, magnificent way. And as we think about heaven not being fun, listen, if, if here on earth he has given us every good and perfect gift, if he's given us things to enjoy in this world, the beauty of creation, the beauty of relationships, the creativity that we have in our minds and in our hands and our, our life, the variety that he has created us, then don't you think that in heaven that's going to continue on? That that very thing is going to continue on in heaven. And so let's dispel the, the myth that there's no fun in heaven. If we can have fun down here, think how much even greater fun we're going to have in the presence of our great God. I mentioned early on uh, when I came to serve you a few months ago about um, uh, the, the movie that is out there that's just making an international splash, uh, splash is The Chosen. And it pictures such a realistic Jesus. They've already finished two seasons. They're working on a third season. And it's just a beautiful, I think, image of Jesus who had that balance of humanity and the deity. But in his humanity, he's having fun with those disciples. Yes, there are the serious moments as he's teaching them and guiding them and chastising them and disciplining them. He's given us a beautiful picture of how it ought to be in our lives. But he's having a lot of fun and kidding and teasing with those disciples. That's how I picture our Jesus. If he was that here on earth, think about what it's going to be in glory. Oh, there's going to be some fun in heaven. A second myth is that, that heaven is going to be boring. That heaven is going to be boring. I took the title of the message from this very thought. Heaven will be boring. Folks, we get that, so many people get that thought because of the monotony of life, the routine of life. And sometimes we do get tired of routines. We get tired of going over and over certain things uh, uh, in this world. And so when we, when we do that, the limitation is with us, not with God. The limitation is your finiteness. We have an infinite God, this wonderful, beautiful God, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be things that we cannot even imagine in our mind. We're only scraping the surface when we, when we talk about his praise and honor, going talk about the beauty of heaven. It's going to be so much greater than all of that. Heaven is not going to be boring. I, <laughs> I, I heard a, an illustration uh, this past week of this, of this golfer, and he was trying to think about heaven. He said, you know, maybe God is going to let me play golf in heaven. But, you know, it's going to be pretty boring because every hole is going to be a hole in one. I don't know if I can stand it. 
Well, I don't know if every hole is going to be a hole in one, but again, heaven is not going to be boring. When our children came along, and I saw this in our grandchildren when they were very, very small, our preschool children, preschool grandchildren, we would be playing and doing some, maybe swinging in the swing, okay? And I would be swinging them, and I would get kind of tired swinging them. And guess what they would say? Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. Push me again, Daddy. Push me again. Push me again, Granddaddy. Or we'd be down in the pool, maybe down at the beach, and uh, we had all our family together on many occasions, and they would be jumping off in the pool into our arms, jumping off the side into our arms, or maybe I had them on my shoulders and they were diving in. Do it again, Dad. Do it again. Let's do it again. Or the grandchildren. Let's do it again. But the reason I got tired is because my humanity. But in heaven, I'm not going to have that tiredness. And I'm going to tell you what, I have, I have a thought that I'm going to be doing the same thing with God. Do it again, God. Do it again. I want to see it again, God, when I'm up there. No, no. Heaven is not going to be boring. There's a third myth that I want you to see, and that is heaven will be one long worship service. One long worship service. I've had people actually tell me that. Man, I don't know about heaven. I don't know if I can sing all, that, all those songs up there. Well, I'm going to tell you what. God created us for worship. It's not the only thing that we do, but God has created us for worship. Worship is central. I'm going to speak for Micah. We're not going to sing 6,000 verses of a praise chorus, are we, Micah? No, we're not. But neither are you going to have to listen to 40 years of a sermon by me, all right? <laughs> You're not going to have to listen to 40 years of one sermon. No, no, no. Heaven, heaven is going to be a place of worship. And I believe there's going to be some scheduled worship. I think there's going to be some spontaneous worship that we have up there. But heaven is not going to be just one continuous worship. You say, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's look at our second point. And let's look at the primary responsibilities in heaven. What are going to be our primary responsibilities in heaven? I think the same thing that God had Adam and Eve doing in the Garden of Eden, he's going to have us doing in heaven. Now, what did, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? Well, one thing is, they fellowship with God. In the cool of the evening, the Bible says, they're walking around with God. They're having fellowship with God. They're having a wonderful time with God. That's what worship's supposed to be. If we're really true to what worship is in our hearts, it's a time that we fellowship with God and that we are seeing the, the worthiness of our great God. That's what worship means the worthiness of this great God who created us and who made us. But there was also work that Adam and Eve did in the garden. So let's break it down. What are our two responsibilities? First of all is to worship. We are to worship in heaven. Adam and Eve were created for that. Genesis 3 verse 8 speaks about that very truth. We read a moment ago in Revelation chapter 5 verses 9, 10 we read what the angels were doing. What were the angels doing? The angels were worshiping God. They were singing a new song, and they are worshiping God. We had already seen the, the four living creatures. We had already seen the elders. We already saw their worship in chapter 4 briefly. Chapter 5, now it's these angels that are worshiping God. And think about it. It said thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. This is one of the reasons why... I've, that, that God doesn't need any more angels. He's got hundreds of millions of angels already there. Why would we want one more and make us one more angel? No, he's got plenty of angels, and they are worshiping around the throne. 
And it is not quiet around the throne. Now, like some of you, I grew up in the church where we had come into the worship service, you know, about quarter to 11, and the, the organ, I'm sorry, Deb, would be playing a funeral dirge of some sort, all right? And we all had to be quiet, you know, you know, we're supposed to enter the holy temple of God, you know, and come into his holy place and, and worship, and it's supposed to be real quiet. There's a place for quiet, don't get me wrong. There's a place for quiet. But I believe this is a time for family reunion. And I love seeing you mixing and moving around. I think I've shared it before. This is a family reunion. We hadn't seen each other for a few days, and we're coming together. Family reunion. In heaven, you don't find soft, contemplative, quiet music. It is loud singing. Think of the hundreds of millions of angels praising God. And we get over to chapter 7 in just a moment. We see the rest of us are joining in a new song. And in the latter part of chapter 5, those angels are shouting. And so you may be thinking, hey, you know, in, in our service here, I, I just mouthed the words. Well, I'm going to tell you what, in heaven, you're going to be singing the words. And you might think, well, hey, I, I, I don't have a voice. It won't make any difference in heaven. You're going to sing because you just can't help it. You won't be able to help it. In chapter 7, let's turn over to chapter 7 and, and read with me in verse 9, 10, 11. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And these are, these are tribulation saints, all right, those that were killed during the tribulation. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If you, do, if you study the book of Revelation, those first seven chapters, there's doxology after doxology after doxology. And the doxology gets longer and longer and longer. It's amazing. It gets longer and longer and longer. Folks, the more that we're in the presence of our God and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, praise is going to come from us. You know, from time to time, the expression of my lips really convey, convey the adoration of my heart. I've had some of those experiences. I, I wish I had them more often, to be honest. And maybe you too. Maybe we take for granted sometimes singing our our songs, our hymns, and our praise songs. Maybe we take for granted, and that's part of our problem because we're not always focused. But every now and then, what I say on my lips is really an expression of adoration from my heart. When we get to heaven, it will always be like that. You will not be able to help. Every time people came and face-to-face and, and -face with Jesus, what did they do? They fell down. They fell down in the face of, and on the ground in the face of Jesus. And think about when we're going to be in heaven. The same thing is going to happen. We're going to worship. That's not the only thing we're going to do. The second thing we're going to be doing is working. Remember, God is a working God. He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. Satan hadn't created a thing. God has done it all. God is a working God. And may I remind you, we have been created in his image. 
which means that we are to be working people as well. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8, 15. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And you remember a few weeks ago, Labor Day weekend, those of you that were gathered with us, I talked about this. Let me just remind you and those who could not be with us that day about work. Work is not a curse. Long before Adam and Eve bit on that apple and the, on, and the tree in the Garden of Eden, God had already given work that has never changed, will never change, in this lifetime and in eternity as well. The curse is the monotony of work. It's the sweat of the brow. It, it is the burdensomeness of work. That's the curse. But Revelation 22.3 says, that's all going to be done with That'll be over in eternity. There will be no curse, no longer any curse. And so we're going to find ourselves in heaven that God's going to have some jobs for all of us. There's going to be work that he's going to want us to do. And it's basically going to be based about, about on who you are in your life. What is it that you enjoy in this life? What is it that you enjoy? There's some of you, you like working with your hands. God's going to have some work, I believe, so you can work with your hands. Some of you are kind of loners. You kind of like working by yourself, okay? He may have some places for you, okay? For you to, to be able to work by yourself, those one-on-one -on -one kind of jobs. But whatever it is that God has for us out there, rest assured, he's going to take in mind and to mind all your gifts, all the talents that you have, all the interests that you have, and he's going to let you continue on in eternity and in working these kind of things in, in life, when we get to that new heaven and new earth, we're going to find ourselves continuing to serve God through work and whatever that may be. Now, part of our problem is we think of the burdensomeness of here in this world, but there it will be effortless as we work in the presence of God, whatever it is that he has for us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you, in heaven, he's not going to need any doctors any longer. He's not going to need any dentists or firefighters. He's not going to need any funeral directors. He's not going to need any preachers. But he's going to give us all some new assignments. Whatever the giftedness was in that area of her, her, uh, helping people, serving people, he's going to give to us. But I want to assure you of this. Whoever you are right now, that's what you're going to be in heaven. Hear me. Whatever, whatever you are, whoever you are, you're going to be that in heaven. You're not going to be something different there. You're not going to be some spirit that's going to be absorbed in the force. All right? You're not. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud somewhere just playing a harp. What you are now, who you are, that specialness, you're a unique creation of God. And ever how you are now, you're going to be that in heaven. He's got some exciting things he wants you to do in heaven. It's going to continue. How that looks, what that totally looks like, we don't fully understand. But we're going to be serving while we're in his presence. So, two primary responsibilities. Worship and work. Now, there are going to be some other things. But let's move on as we think about one specific job description. And that is, we're going to rule and reign. We're going to rule and reign. Just like Adam and Eve were given the responsibility of ruling and reigning in creation in the Garden of Eden, he's going to give that to us as well into eternity. Uh, the, 
the, the top movies that I really enjoy, one is The Showman, came out a couple of years ago, and another one was from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Now, if you've not seen that movie, I hope that you somehow can, can get a hold of a, a, a video of it or, or a live stream it, whatever you might want to do. Somehow, I hope that you would want to watch that. It's a beautiful story. C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, was, was an atheist that came to know Jesus Christ. He was an Oxford professor. And as he grew in his relationship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he wrote some fictional works, and the Chronicles of Narnia is one of those. And he's, he's taking the gospel, he's taking God's word, the gospel, and putting it in, in fiction form. And one of the best of all of those had to do with the lion and the witch and the wardrobe. And it pictured life here on earth, Narnia being earth that, uh, that it ha has been damaged because of the white witch who represents Satan. And it, it's, it's always winter on earth, meaning things are dying and talking about how the earth after Adam and Eve sinned and how the earth also uh, became uh, tainted because of sin. But then there's Aslan, the lion, uh, who represents Jesus Christ, who will give his blood on the altar, uh, who will make all things right. But part of the prophecy was the two sons of Adam and the two daughters of Eve, Lucy and Edmund and Susan and Peter. And because of them coming into Narnia and what Aslan did, they are made kings and queens of Narnia. That's a picture in C.S. Lewis's mind in fiction. It's a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like in heaven for us, in the new heaven and the new earth. We are going to be like kings and queens. We are already kings and queens positionally, but one day it will be a reality. We're going to reign and we're going to rule. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, etc., etc., etc. See, Adam and Eve had the opportunity of ruling, but sin ruined that. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. But what has God done? He has given us Jesus Christ, the new Adam. And he has given us the church, which is the new Eve. And we're going to find ourselves ruling one day, governing in this, in this world. Now the leadership, there's going to be new leadership. And that new leadership is going to be based upon faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew 25. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Those who rule faithfully in this world, God's going to put in charge in the world to come. Revelation 22, 5 says, And they will reign forever and ever and ever. So let me elaborate with two points. First of all, who gets to rule and reign? Who gets to rule and reign? Again, some of you, you love working with your hands. So you're going to have those kind of jobs. Those of you who want to be one-on-one, -on -one, you, you like working by yourself, that. But those who God gifted to be leaders or who grew to be leaders, those who were faithful in that, he is going to allow them to be rulers in the new heaven and the new earth. 
In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, we read a story about a nobleman. He went away to a far country. He left servants. He gave each of 10 servants. He gave them a mina, and a mina was worth about three months' wages in the, in the wages of that day. And he said, I'm coming back, and I want an accountability how you used your mina. Well, we only have the story about three of those 10, but one of them, I mean, his grew tenfold, a thousand percent. His one mina, he increased it to 10. And he was rewarded. He said, well, you can become ruler over 10 cities. Uh, another one, he took his and it grew 500%. And he uh, was given the opportunity of now ruling over five cities. And, but the one, one of them had one mina. He didn't do anything. He hid his. And he was held accountable because he should. He was entrusted with this. But he didn't do anything with it. And so he failed and he is condemned because of it. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus. We have all been given gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities, time, money, whatever. We have an opportunity in our life and we are to be faithful in using that while we are here in this world. And based on your faithfulness is how you're going to be rewarded in the new heaven and new earth. See, one of the most precious things you and I have is our lives. It's our lives. And he gives you opportunities to invest in this world now. And those of us that are faithful in investing in our world right now will be blessed in eternity as well. We are a special treasure. But now, what does ruling and reigning look like? Okay? What does ruling and reigning look like? Well, these two responsibilities that we have in the kingdom is going to be judging and governing. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And then a verse later it says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? The word judge there means that we will give a verdict. We will pass down a verdict in this world. But it also, the word for judging there has to do with governing as well. That God's going to give us an opportunity the kingdom to judge and to govern in this world. Last Sunday, we talked a little bit about angels. Psalm 90 says that we've been created a little bit lower than the angels. That's in this world. In heaven, we're going to be above the angels. The Bible says we're going to judge angels. We're going to govern the angels. Now, I'm not sure what all that's going to look like, but true to form, uh, JB, just like you have orientation classes, I believe God's going to have orientation classes for in heaven. And we're going to be taught exactly what it means to rule and to reign in heaven we can trust him and these responsibilities that he has for us what he gave to adam and eve he was going to give to you and me in this new world in this new creation now lastly let's look at some blessings of heaven i want to talk about four blessings before we finish our message this morning heaven is not going to be a place of all work it's not going to be a place of all worship uh is going to be a place, I believe, of fun. I believe it's going to be an opportunity for us to serve and do some, some amazing things. But there are some benefits I want you to see, blessings. One of them is we're going to be enjoying other believers. We're going to enjoy other believers. We're going to make new friends. A number of years ago, in fact, it was the third SEC championship. And it was the first one played in the Georgia Dome. And I had an opportunity because 
my team was playing Alabama, we, I had a chance to go as a Florida fan. I got to go twice in Legion Field, and I got to go the first time in the Georgia Dome, had been to a few of the games after that. But I can still remember that third game, first time we were in the Georgia Dome. And those of you that know anything about the SEC Championship over in, in Atlanta, they always have fanfare. You know, a couple of days before, day of the game, they have in the, the big exhibit buildings next door, they have all kinds of, of activities for you to be involved in. And it's called fanfare. And the first time I went in uh, 1994, um, I went with a, a, an Auburn fan, even though Auburn wasn't playing at that time. But uh, he had tickets. He had purchased uh, some tickets. He invited me to go with him as a guest. So I went, and we went to fanfare. And in Fanfare, there's a section there where the Florida pep band was playing. Not all the hundreds of band members, but there was just a pep band. And a few of the other band members were sitting with us in the bleachers there, and just small bleachers uh, in part of, the, uh, part of Fanfare. And all of a sudden, they started playing the song that's always played between the third quarter and fourth quarter at a Florida game, and that is, we are the boys of old Florida. So you just grab arms with whoever's close to you. We are the boys of old Florida. Oh, you know, so anyway, that's silly, but that's what we do at Florida, okay? Y'all do some silly things too at Alabama and Auburn and Troy. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting there. Now, my friend, he's, he's way in the back. He's standing, but I'm sitting on the bleachers because I'm involved in, in the Florida cheers, stuff like that. This young lady sitting next to me, she is a, a member of the band, not the pet band, but the bigger band. She just grabs my arm. A guy over here, another Florida guy, he just grabbed my arm, and we're swaying back and forth. I didn't know these folks. I didn't know them from Adam. But we were community because we were all Florida fans. And so we were participating, and we were enjoying what Florida fans enjoy. And it didn't make any difference who they were, but at that moment, we were tied together because of a mutual interest. And here on earth right now, what we are doing is of mutual interest because Jesus says the church is important to build community and to build intimacy. And that doesn't end here. It continues right on into heaven. It continues on into heaven. We're going to enjoy meeting new believers. We're going to have fun getting to know all the other millions and millions and millions of believers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do more than worship. We're going to do more than work, more than just have fun. We're going to be meeting people who are a part of this Revelation 7-9. And this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's going to be great. For our 10th anniversary in travel, First Baptist, um, we were supposed to go to the Holy Land, but there was fighting going on at that time. So we decided to go on a cruise, a Bible cruise. And I got to hear some of the best preachers of our convention at that time. Adrian Rogers and, and uh, Jim Henry. There, there were a number. Gary Smalley was on the, on, the, on the ride as well. Geraldine and Ricky, the old uh, comic uh, routine ventriloquist. And so it was great. I really, I really enjoyed it. To me, that was just a taste of heaven. 
because I'm going to be able to sit at the feet of all of those folks that have preceded me that we read about in the Bible. We're going to be able to ask Adam and Eve about what the original Garden of Eden looked like. We're going to be able to talk to Noah about the flood and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what that looked like. We're going to be able to talk to King David and talk about when he, when he defeated Goliath. And, and on and on, we're going to be able to talk. Daniel in the, in the lion's den being, and those, those three Hebrew children being thrown into, into the fire in the book of Daniel. And we go into the New Testament with, with Peter, James, and John. All of these folks... Think about all the people that we're going to be able to meet. Not only Old Testament characters, but all the new ones. William Wilberforce, who fought for uh, the, the, the abolishment of slavery in England. And we think of John Newton, who wrote you know, the, 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 the national anthem of, of the United States. You know, Amazing Grace. And, and on and on and on, we're going to be able to meet and talk to all these folks. But it's going to be more than just that. Some of you lost babies in miscarriage. And they were going to have grown up in heaven. You're going to get to meet them. This past Friday night in the Moms Day Out program that our daughter, one of our daughters, leads at First Baptist Travel, a two-year-old got tangled up in some uh, window blinds, cord, and strangled to death. A two-year-old. And those parents, devastated as you can imagine. Some of you have lost children. Maybe small, maybe big. But think about it when we get to heaven we're going to be able to meet them. We're going to be able to talk with them. Some of you have brothers and sisters you've never even met. Some grandchildren you've never even met. But in heaven, you're going to be able, there's, we're going to enjoy meeting people in heaven. It's a benefit of heaven. Think something else I want you to see, and that is we're going to learn more about God. We're going to learn more about God. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. And then shall fully, even now as I'm known, will be known at that time. Folks, we're going to understand God. I don't know how it's going to be done. Maybe God, with the moment we are, find ourselves in glory, He's going to download into our minds everything we need to understand and know about Him. Maybe that's how He's going to do it. Or maybe it's going to be like relationships like a husband and wife, moms and dads and children and, and grandparents, uncles and aunts, friends. Maybe it's going to be something that progresses over time. Or it may be something that progresses for all eternity. But we're going to learn more and more about our God. Number three, we're going to experience rest. Real rest. Experience real rest. The Bible tells us that, again, that in this world that we have burdens. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all that labor and are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Our God, the Bible tells us that on the seventh day he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he wanted to enjoy what he had just worked, his accomplishment. We talked about that on our Labor Day sermon a few weeks ago. The same thing's going to be for us in heaven. The rest is not because of burdens in heaven itself. The burdens are from this world. Revelation chapter 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they will rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. It's not saying there's not going to be work in heaven. There's work in heaven, but we're not going to have the burdensome of, of the work that we've experienced here on earth. And so we're going to find that we're going to experience real rest where we will enjoy, like God, the accomplishments of our hands. We will savor 
the satisfaction of a job well done. And lastly, we're going to enjoy the presence of Jesus. Nothing greater than the presence of Jesus. Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see him face to face. Now all we see is the blurry image of our Savior. It's foggy. It's dim. Our faith is dimmed because we can't see him face to face. But one day, that is all going to change. And we will see him face to face. And it's going to be the greatest joy, I think, of heaven. In 1923, a woman by the name of Nettie Dudley Washington wrote a song. It was basically ignored for almost 70 years until the Gaither Vocal Band rediscovered it and recorded it. You'll recognize the song. As I entered the gates of the city, my loved ones all knew me well. They took me down the streets of heaven. Such scenes were too many to tell. I saw Abraham, I saw Isaac, I saw Jacob, talked with Mark and Timothy, but I said, I want to see Jesus because he's the one who's died for me. Then I bowed on my knees and cried, Holy, holy, holy. I clapped my hands and said, Glory. I sang glory to the Son of God. Heaven is not going to be boring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, how precious it is. Thank you that we can understand. You have revealed truth to us and helped us to flesh it out and to understand and see it. And because of our finiteness, sometimes, Father, we, we just don't see how awesome it's going to be in glory. In your presence, in the presence of our Lord who shed his blood so we could be there. So, Father, help us to have a wider vision. A wider vision understanding about this glorious place that we'll spend eternity. And most of all, we'll see Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, face to face. And we pray this in his strong name.